Luke chapter 24 is where we're going. Luke chapter 24. The title of the message is uh, part four of Just a Closer Walk. This series has been based on the theme that we are disconnected from each other, but we don't have to disconnect from God. So hopefully in the reality that is presently yours, that you can't get with your friends or your coworkers or whatever, that you take this time to get with God, to get closer to Him, to get on your knees, to pray, to seek Him, to know Him. And this message is called, You Can't Cancel the Resurrection. Luke chapter 24, you can't cancel the resurrection. Okay, let me, let me build the case for where we're going, and then we're going to read uh, through video. Uh, Luke chapter 24. Coronavirus has changed our world, has it not? It has changed how we live. This is unprecedented in history. This is unprecedented for the global church. Never before have we actually had service on Easter like this. This is so strange. It's so new. And in some ways it's unique. Like I can come right up to you right now through the magic of this camera and say, Happy Easter, but you're not here. You're there. Coronavirus has canceled you coming here. And that for me is heartbreaking. It has also canceled so many other things that we love. Concert halls are empty. Theaters are empty. Sports stadiums, empty. Some parks, empty. Office buildings, empty. Some work uh, schools, all schools, empty. Many of our freedoms as Americans has have been temporarily suspended because of this. And so in many respects, it is like the world has been canceled. Your life in many respects, in many aspects has been canceled. And I want to tell you in no uncertain terms that though this country seems canceled, though the world seems like it's canceled your life as you knew it, I want to tell you that you can't cancel the resurrection. You can't cancel that one. No one can. See, that is forever our hope in the past, Jesus rose, and our hope in the future that we will rise to. And so I want to talk to you today about what you can do in the midst of a cancel culture. What you can do in the midst of a cancel culture. I, I don't know if you've been like me, but I've been glued to the president's news conference been listening to him, the experts, the doctors, all the people. And then I've been listening to my governor because I want to be a good um, citizen. And so what they're telling me, I try to do to the best of my ability. And it's discouraging, right, to just think about how many things we still have to do. And we don't know how long it's going to go on. But here's the one thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but here's the one thing that they don't cancel. It's actually kind of an interesting thing that they haven't canceled. You can't go to school, you can't go to work in many cases, and you can't go um, to concerts and sports venues and all that stuff. But here's what they're telling us. You can still go for a walk. Have you heard that? <laughs> like in all the press conferences, I've heard it. You can still go for a walk. And consequence, consequently, we, I have anyway, I, I don't know if you have, but I have seen more people walking than ever before. They're walking everywhere. And uh, I think that's a good thing. This is actually one of the benefits, I guess, of the corona crisis is there's more physical activity in our culture. And then I went to the scriptures, because I always do. And I just searched for the word walk. 
in the Bible. And I, I found out something that's kind of interesting. I don't know if you ever knew this, but God is a fan of walks. He walks with us. That's the theme of Christianity, walking with Jesus, right? And, and then I looked to Scripture, and I found out how many times it's mentioned about walking with God or in victory or through life. For instance, Genesis 3.8 says, uh, right before sin and everything and all the tragic stuff happened, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was walking through the garden. I just think that's so cool. When God calls Abram to inherit the promised land, he says, Abram, I want you to do this. I want you to walk the length and the breadth of the land. And every place that you touch with the sole of your feet, that's going to be yours. Isn't that cool? Walk through the length and the breadth of the land. And then when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, the final, um, the final nail in the coffin of Egypt's stranglehold on Israel was what? The Red Sea. And the Red Sea opened and the people of God walked. <laughs> Exodus 14, 22, walked through the middle of the sea on the dry ground with the walls of water on each side. God is a fan of you taking a walk. So I, I, I thought about the fact that Jesus actually was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he called his disciples and he basically said, follow me. In other words, what I'm doing, I want you to do. I want you to walk with me. Here's the most important thing that you can do in the corona crisis and no one can stop you from doing it. You can still walk with Jesus. You can walk with him through the trouble. You can walk with him through the pain. You can walk with him through the confusion because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you to the very end of the age. And then I thought about the fact that Jesus spent all of his time walking. The old joke goes, about the young punk kid who wasn't getting his act together and his father, he comes to his father and he says, Dad, I'm turning 16, I want a car. Will you buy me one? And he's just a punk kind of kid and so his father says, yeah, I'll buy you a car. Here it is, two conditions. You gotta cut your hair and you gotta get yourself a job. So the kid went out and he got himself a job, but he didn't cut his hair because he wanted to have his hair the way he liked his hair. And he came back to his dad, he said, Dad, I got a job, but I don't think I need to cut my hair. And the dad said, why not? He said, well, because I read the Bible and I found out that Jesus had long hair and Moses had long hair and all the other Old Testament prophets had all long hair. And the father said, yeah, they did, son. And guess what? They walked everywhere they went, okay? So there's no car for you. Walking, walking is a gift. It's really a gift. All you need to do is talk to somebody who can't walk to find out that your gift of walking is a gift. Walking is beneficial to your life. I, I looked this stuff up online. I thought this was incredible. It is so physically beneficial for you to go for a walk. Walking 30 minutes a day, five times a week will lower your risk for heart disease by 20%. 30 minutes a day, five times a week, lower your risk of heart disease by 20%. It lowers your joint, it lowers your blood sugar. It uh, eases your joint pain. It boosts your immunity. Just going for a walk can change your mood, increase your energy levels, extend your life. It tones your legs. It's healthy. It's good to go for a walk. And then the mental aspects. I don't know if you knew this, but going for a walk actually jumpstarts the mental processes in your brain. It gets the creative juices flowing. Some of the greatest thinkers in history, some of the greatest accomplished people in history were walkers. Beethoven was known for taking many, many walks. Tchaikovsky walked twice a day as he played on the piano in between walks. 
I read about Einstein, who used to walk on the beach when he couldn't figure out a complicated theorem. Charles Dickens, uh, the great author from the 1800s. Do you know this? He would go out in the middle of London in the middle of the night and do 20-mile speed walks almost every night. Charles Dickens was a walker. <laughs> and then, of course, more recently, Steve Jobs was famous for walking meetings. He, he, feel, he believed that the best way to solve a problem with his company was to bring his team out, not into a meeting where people could get distracted, but out into a walk where their brain flow, their blood flow to the brain would get higher and they would walk and, and figure things out. And so I thought about how our modern age has really eliminated the need for us to walk, hasn't it? It's just like, it's crazy how little we walk on a normal day, like if we went back to normal times, think about how much you walked. You, you get up in the morning and you go to the breakfast table and you sit. And then you get into the car and you sit on the way to work or into the subway and you sit on the way to work. And then you get into your workplace and for many of us, we sit as we work. We sit at a desk, we sit at a table, we sit somewhere, maybe at a computer and we sit for hours. Then we get up into the car and we drive home sitting. And then we get home and we go to the couch and then what do we do? We get to the couch and then we sit again. And then we get to the bed and we go to sleep. We wake up and we get ready for another day of what? Not walking. And maybe that's why we're so unhealthy. Maybe that's why coronavirus has just been kicking our butts so badly. <laughs> we need to take walks. So I thought about this. Maybe, maybe the one benefit of this crisis is reconnecting us with the gift of walking. God's a fan of it. It's good for you. And it's the theme of a life with Jesus, taking a walk with him. So I wanna take you today to the most famous walk with Jesus in the entire Bible, the most famous walk with God. It's in Luke chapter 24, it's on the day of the resurrection, it's the afternoon of the resurrection, Jesus is alive again. Today we celebrate what happened that day 2,000 years ago. And Jesus came to two men who were going for a walk from a city called Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus and the savior of the universe, the savior of us all decided to take a close walk with these two men. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Let's read or let's watch this video, the reading of God's word. Watch this. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11, those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this moment and I thank you for what this day reminds us to celebrate that Jesus is alive and he wants to walk with us. I pray that people who aren't presently walking with you will be walking with you by the time we're done. I pray that our hearts are opened, our minds are renewed, and our lives are changed by the power of Jesus' name. Help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I want to give you four reasons why the resurrection cannot be canceled. Four reasons. Why the resurrection cannot be canceled. And I want to take them right from this story in Luke chapter 24 with these two men on the road to Emmaus. The scripture says that very day, that very day, please notice very day on the tech, on the, on the, on the scripture there. Because it's illustrating for us that Jesus got right to work going to reach out to these two men. And on that very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, and they were walking, and they were talking, and they were discussing what had just happened over the last three days. And Jesus himself, like notice the phraseology here in Luke's gospel. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Here's what I drew from that passage. Point number one, Jesus comes to the unknowns. Jesus comes to the unknowns. Here's why I say that. Because these two men, or actually, we don't even know if they're both men. There could be one man. We know one of them's a man. His name's Cleopas. But the other person, we don't even know the name. They could be, it could be a woman. It could be Cleopas' wife. We don't know. And that's just the point. We don't know who these people are. And other than this passage in Luke chapter 24, we never hear from Cleopas again. He doesn't show up anywhere else. There, there's, there's another person named Cleophas but it's not him. And I just thought about this, like the resurrection day, kind of an important day in history, right? Jesus' resurrection day. And if you're Jesus and you're rising again and it's the day of resurrection, who do you go see? Like this is not John. This is not Peter. This is not James. This is not one of the big time, big name apostles who will write the Bible. No, this is two people who we are completely unfamiliar with, who if, apart from this moment, we would have never heard from. 
But, before, but, but this is the heart of Jesus. He comes to people that nobody knows. I, I want to tell you today, maybe you feel like you're on the low end of the social strata. Maybe you feel like you're a nobody. Maybe you feel like no one loves you, especially right now. You feel like you're all alone, and it's like coronavirus has compounded that on your life. And you feel like you're a nobody. And I want to tell you good news for nobodies. Jesus loves the nobodies. Jesus cares for people who nobody else looks at. Jesus looks for people who other people ignore. He is the, the person that you need to understand has a heart for people who feel disconnected and feel like they don't belong. It's, it's an important passage for us to understand that Jesus does not just show up only. Like, he doesn't go to Pilate. He doesn't go to Pilate and say, see, I told you. Like, he doesn't go to Herod and go, ha, 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 joke's on you, sucker. No, no, no. He goes on the day of resurrection, and he finds two people that we would otherwise not know because he loves people that the world ignores. This is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 1.26. When he says this, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy in the world's eyes when God called you. So Jesus is not impressed by human accomplishment or achievement. Every single one of you is made in the image of Almighty God, and every single one of you is precious to him. You might feel like a nobody. Good news, God in heaven sees you, loves you, and wants to walk with you. Second point that I want to share with you is this. Jesus comes to us as we are. Jesus comes to these men as they are. First off, I want you to notice that verse 15 had said that they were walking and they were talking and they were discussing. And the word discussing in the Greek there is a word that literally could be translated arguing. They were fussing and fighting. They were debating with each other. And so here they are, they're on the way out of Jerusalem, it's resurrection day, they don't know what's going on, and they're just kind of getting into, they're just arguing, yelling, maybe they're yelling at each other, maybe they're just mad at each other, maybe one of them wants to go back to Jerusalem, the other one's like, no, it's all over, and he wants to leave Jerusalem, it doesn't matter, here's the thing, where they were, Jesus came to them. These were not great people of faith. These were not people with religious pedigrees. These were not people who had decided, oh, no, we're going to pray and be faithful until we know that Jesus is alive again. No, they were arguing. They were having an argument, and Jesus comes to them in the midst of their argument. And then the second passage here that I want you to see is verse 16. It says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they don't even know who he is. They don't even understand it's Jesus. And, and I kind of wonder... What, did he take on a different form, or did the Holy Spirit do something in their lives to keep them from seeing him? It doesn't matter why or how. All that we are called to see in this passage is that they didn't know it was him. They were walking with Jesus, and they didn't even know it was Jesus. Talk about unfamiliarity with Scripture. <laughs> Talk about ignorance. And I want to say that to some of you today. Like, some of you feel like, oh, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not, like, I'm not very familiar with the Bible. Uh, I'm not very familiar with religiosity or Christianity. In fact, I wasn't even raised in the church. I don't even have this idea of who God is. I, I, I'm kind of a pagan, and maybe you're a proud pagan. Maybe you're a proud pagan. You just like being a pagan, and, and you just completely ignore the Scriptures. You completely ignore Jesus. You completely ignore God. And I want to tell you something. You're not too far God for, come, for God to come walking up next to you. He comes to you as you are. 
You see, here's the thing. I love the fact that they are walking because this is what I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. Faith, like a walk, is a journey, not a destination. It's a journey, not a destination. Some of you say, I just don't have faith. I'm not, the, I'm not that kind of a person. I'm not a faith kind of person. I'm a, I'm a reason kind of person or I'm a, I'm a skeptic or whatever. It doesn't matter what you are. It only matters who he is. And he can come to you where you are, how you are. In fact, he will. He'll find people in the drug house. He'll find people in the prison. He'll find people in, in, in the strip club. He'll find people anywhere they are. And he will do a work in their life that no one else can do. Because our God sent Jesus not for people who had it all together. But for, for people who knew they didn't have it all together. And he loved them out of it and made them his own. Here's why faith is a journey, because second part of that point is this. None of us start at the same place or move at the same pace. None of us start at the same place. Some of you, when you first heard about Jesus, it was, it was when you were on the back end of a divorce. Your life had just fallen to pieces. And so do you think that God is going to expect you to have the same running start to faith as, as someone who was raised by Christians or raised in the church? No. See, the point is he knows where you are on the journey. And he knows that you don't all start at the same place. Some people were raised in the faith like I was. Some people were raised completely disconnected from God, from faith. And God knows that. And he's not expecting you to try to keep up with everybody else. He is going to come where you are and walk with you through Scripture. And I, and I, just, I just love that. And then I thought about this guy named Cleopas, because he's mentioned in the text, and it's on purpose in verses 9 to 24. And we need to look at where Cleopas is at, because it's so important to take a, a, a clear look at this. A couple of facts. In verse 19, he tells Jesus about Jesus. This is kind of funny. He actually tells Jesus about Jesus, because Jesus is like, okay, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, it's concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Have you heard of him? Like, are you the only one that's never been here? And he goes, Jesus uh, of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, word and God before all the people. And I saw, here's the first fact about Cleopas' life. Number one, he was in awe of who Jesus was. He was impressed by Jesus. Some of you, that's you. You're impressed by Jesus, or you've heard of Jesus, or you have high respect for Jesus. But you're not yet walking with Jesus. You're just like Cleopas in this passage. In verse 20, he says this, our chief priests and rulers delivered him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And you can almost hear the disappointment in Cleopas' mouth. Like he's like, we thought he was the one. And then the people who should have known he was the one, the religious leaders, they handed him over to the Romans, and the Romans put him on a cross, and he's dead. Here's a second fact about Cleopas. Maybe you resonate with this. Maybe you can relate to this. Cleopas did not understand what was happening. He was confused about the circumstances in which he found himself. Is that you? Are you the kind of person who regularly asks this question, God, why do you allow? God, why don't you do this? And in some ways, our questions can be a wall that keeps us from finding answers because we just want to question what's going on. We never want to seek what God might be saying through what's going on. Cleopas is a lot like us. He's, he's devastated. Thirdly about Cleopas is that. He, he's, his hopes are crushed because it says this in verse 21. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
So, man, we, we have these hopes, and now they're crushed. They're gone. Maybe that's you. And you had these dreams for a life that was going to look like this, and it looks nothing like that. Or you lost someone very significant to you. Or you had your game plan for where you were going to go career-wise, family-wise, and none of that happened, and you've been crushed. Maybe this crisis has crushed you. It's kept you at home. And I want to say something. It's on my heart to say this because I just feel like God is telling me to say this. You know, when I just said we don't all start at the same place and we don't go at the same pace in our walk with Jesus, some of you want nothing to do with God because you were molested as a child. And on top of it, there's someone watching today, and I feel you need to hear this. You were molested by someone in the church. And the place that you started was so dark, it's been haunting you for years since. And I want to tell you something. It's hideous and heinous what that person did to you. But can I tell you that you are not so far gone that Jesus won't come to you in that pain and in that darkness and walk with you. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's why your life has just felt like it's been crushed. Crushed by the confidence that was destroyed in a member of the church. And then the last thing that I want you to see about Cleopas, and this is kind of interesting to me. I never saw this in the passage before, but he's a serious skeptic. <laughs> he's a serious skeptic. Um, verse 22, he says, uh, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. He says they were at the tomb this morning. They didn't see him. They didn't find the body. They came back. They said they saw angels. And they, the angels told them that he was alive. Verse 24, he says, And then some of those who were with us went to the tomb, that's Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And it's like, I just looked at that passage. And said, Cleopas unpacks a staggering amount of evidence to be walking away from, doesn't he? Like, he really does. First, he tells the, Jesus, oh yeah, the, the women that we hang out with, they told us that uh, they didn't see him, and they also saw angels that said he was alive. And then he says, oh yeah, and then Peter and John, these two highly respected disciples of Jesus, they also confirmed the testimony of the women and the angels that he was alive. And yet, Cleopas and his friend, or whoever is with him, are walking away from Jerusalem where it all happened, instead of back to Jerusalem. Like, if that's you, do you walk out of the city or do you walk back in? If that's me and I'm hearing about angels, I'm walking back in. Where are the angels? Where are they? Where'd you see them? I want to know. And uh, let me see the empty tomb. I want to know. No, they're walking away. And so I thought about this. This is what Cleopas represents for us. Cleopas is a serious skeptic. He needs more proof than just the testimony of a few women and a few close friends, I guess, to believe that Jesus is alive. Then I thought about you. I thought about us. I thought about our culture. I mean, look at the evidence, if you will, for a moment, that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. Just look at the evidence. Right now on this planet, 2.1 billion people believe that he is the son of the living God, that he rose again. 2.1 billion people. On top of that, the movement of Jesus is larger than it's ever been before. It started with 12 and has gone on to 2.1 billion on top of that, history, I don't know if you're aware of this, but history is divided on him. There is B.C. and then there is A.D. Jesus is the dividing line of history. 2,020 years from Jesus. And then I thought about this. 
His followers, we have it recorded both in the Bible and outside the Bible, his followers went to their death, went to, went to their torturous death, mind you, because they did not want to recant their belief that he was Lord. On top of that, his prophecies are coming true from Matthew chapter 24. His prophecies about plagues and pestilences and famines and earthquakes. Do you know that we've had two massive earthquakes in this country since coronavirus started? There's, there's reports of tornadoes and, and hail the size of tennis balls falling in the Midwest today. In the midst of all this crisis, Jesus talked about these things. In Matthew chapter 24, he said, these things are going to happen, and they're going to happen with rapid succession, and the faster that they get, it's like birth pains. Know that at that moment, I am standing at the door. I am coming back. Like This is Jesus talking about this stuff 2,000 years ago, and we're living it right now. Am I saying Jesus is coming back today? I don't know. He could. Are you ready if he does? My point is, are you so skeptical that even the evidence, even the evidence of your context, you, you, you know that the, the greatest institutions of learning in this country, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, all founded to train ministers to tell people about Jesus in the 16 and 1700s. Today they don't have that mission, but that's where they come from. All the evidence of our world that shows us Jesus is who he said he was. They never found his body. They, 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 they never uh, discovered where, where, where he's, he was actually buried because he emptied the grave. I mean, there's ideas. There's a couple of places that you can go to in Jerusalem and see this may have been, like even when you go on the tour, this may have been where he was, but he could have been over there. We don't know. That's what happens when you don't use a grave for long term. People don't know which one's yours. Amen. And so Jesus turns to these two men who are skeptics, or these two people who got a bit of skepticism, and he says this in verse 25. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Isn't that some of us? Slow of heart to believe. You're just stubborn. All that the, look what he says, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And so here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to give them the greatest experience that they can have with him and he's going to lead them on a path to discover who he is. And he's going to do it through the scriptures. Point three, point three is that Jesus comes alive to us through the pages of scripture. So maybe the evidence isn't enough about history and about the resurrection stories and about those who followed him and, and how they suffered for him. Maybe that's not enough. And I think that this is a beautiful picture because here's what Jesus does to convince these men that he is who he said he is. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look what it says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses. Now Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. Okay, so there's the Torah and the Tanakh, according to the Jews. And he says, all those books, all those 39 books of the Old Testament... They are talking about me. So this is what Jesus did on that seven-mile journey, on that seven-mile walk with those disciples. He unpacks the scriptures, and I think he started with Cain and Abel. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain is the older son. Abel is the younger son. 
And Cain, the older son, is jealous of the younger son's offering to God that he was accepted and Cain's was not. And the scripture says Cain was a gardener, but, but Abel was a keeper of flocks. He was a shepherd. And Cain, in jealousy, kills Abel. And I think Jesus said, you know who the true Abel is? I'm the true Abel. You know who the true Cain is? The religious leaders who condemned me to death. Why did they do that? Because they were jealous of him. Jesus is the true Abel whose blood was spilt on the ground at the hands of his older brothers and whose blood still speaks. Then I think he took them through the story of Joseph. Joseph, who was one of the younger brothers of Jacob, the, the beloved chosen brother, the brother with the coat of many colors. We have Broadway plays about him. And he's the chosen special son. And he goes and he watches over his brothers and they hate him and then they betray him and sell him into the hands of strangers. And, he and first they cast him into a pit and then they sell him off into the hands of strangers. And I said, and I just see Jesus saying, that's who I am. I'm the true Joseph. I was betrayed at the hand of my brothers. I was cast into the pit of death. But remember the story of Joseph. He goes from the prison to the palace in one day and becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh in charge of distributing grain for food to all the nations in the midst of a famine. And Jesus, I, said, I, I just see Jesus telling him, I'm the true Joseph who came from the pit of, the de of death and was raised to the right-hand side of God the Father, and today I provide food for the nations. And then I see him interpreting Moses' story around himself. I'm the true Moses. What did Moses do? He went to deliver Israel from slavery to Egypt, and he also was rejected by his brothers, was he not? They said, who made you a prophet over us? Who made you a ruler over us? And Moses came in to where they were, and delivered them, identified with them, and delivered them out of Egypt and led them into freedom. And I see Jesus saying, I'm the true Moses who came to where you are. And in spite of your rejection of me, I am here to lead you out of slavery to Egypt, which is a symbol of sin. And I am here to give you new life and to walk you into a new promise that God has for you eternally. And then I see him walking them through the story of David. David who killed Goliath. There are many, many sermons about trying to be like David, but here's the sermon that David is really all about, that there is a true David who killed our true Goliath. And if you remember the story of David and Goliath, David killed Goliath by cutting off his head with Goliath's own sword. And when he did that, all of Israel suddenly were emboldened and, and had courage to go and fight against their enemies, and they conquered their enemies because of David's leadership in killing their number one enemy. And I, I think Jesus said, I'm the true David. I faced down the true Goliath, and I killed death with death with its own weapon. And because he did that, we have courage, and we can have boldness to know that death can't touch us, and no power on, on earth or in the grave or in hell can defeat us because our champion, our true David, won the battle for us. And I think that Jesus just unpacked that for them. Then I think he brought them to Daniel. And Daniel was another guy who was betrayed by his contemporaries. And then he was cast into a pit with lions. But the angel came and kept the mouth of the lion shut. And death did not hold Daniel. And he came out of that pit on the third day. Read the scripture. It says on the third day he came out of that pit. And then when Darius the king saw that Daniel survived that pit, 
He sent letters to the world saying, there is no God in this earth other than Daniel's God. And so what do we have in the New Testament? We have letters from Paul the Apostle, from James, from, from Peter, from the leaders of the church that are spread throughout the whole known earth telling us that there is no God other than the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then I see him leading them through the stories of Leviticus, the pictures of the sacrificial system, how Jesus is the true and final sin offering. Jesus is the true and final great high priest who bears the names of his people on his chest, on his heart. Jesus is the final temple. Jesus is the final Old Testament prophet. Jesus is the true king of Israel. He's the true light and he's the true bread that gives us food and strength for life. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, verse five, who was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah wrote those words 800 years before Jesus ever showed up. And lest you think that somebody wrote them after he showed up, there's a little archaeological discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls from 1947 that are carbon dated to over 150 years before Jesus was ever here. And there's a complete copy of the book of Isaiah with more prophecies about his virgin birth, about his suffering, about his death, about his resurrection. They're in the book of Isaiah, bearing witness to the world that exactly what Jesus did proved he was what the scriptures said the Messiah would be. In my opinion, you can't argue with that. That does something here. It did something for Cleopas and his friend, because look what it says in verse 28. So they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And so now look what happens in the next passage. It says that they went, and while he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And what happens in the house is Jesus actually is invited in as a guest, but when he gets into the house, he takes the position of the host, and he breaks and blesses the bread and gives it to them. The picture is that when you invite Jesus in, he doesn't come in to serve. He comes in to rule and to reign in your life, to be the host of your heart. And then it says this in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. The moment that they welcomed him in and gave him authority, they saw who he was. See the picture Scripture is providing for us here? And then verse 32, I love verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the Scripture to us? See, when you see Jesus in the Scriptures, when you keep walking through what you're going through with Jesus, let me tell you three guarantees. Number one, your eyes will be opened. Your heart will burn. And finally, your life will change. When you see Jesus, eyes open, hearts burning, lives changing.
which brings me to point number four. See, Jesus brings us to the light so that no darkness can overwhelm us. That's what this day is about. Jesus brings us to the light so that no darkness can overwhelm your life. Because look what happens to these two guys. Look at what happens to these two people in verse 33. And they rose that same hour, look at same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together and they talked about how they had seen him on the road and were revealed to him at the breaking of the bread. And I just want you to notice that these two guys had walked seven miles with Jesus. And if you just back up in the text a little bit, remember they said, Jesus, it's late and it's getting dark out. Why don't you come on in with us? I didn't, again, they didn't know it was Jesus. They said, come on in with us. And so out of fear of the darkness coming, they get in the house and, and kind of like shelter down. But the moment that they see that Jesus is Jesus, that he is alive, that same hour, they couldn't wait, could they? They go out into the middle of the night and they go all the way back. They, they, I, I imagine they didn't walk. They ran all the way back to Jerusalem. Seven miles. You can walk seven miles in two hours. You can run seven miles, what, in about 45 minutes if you run as fast as you can. And I just thought about this. These guys who were formerly scared of the dark are now bold and fearless in the midst of it. Why? Because here's the truth about life with Jesus. Here's the truth about walking with him. When you walk with him, no darkness can ever overwhelm you. That is what this day is about. That is what the empty grave is about. The grave is opened. The scriptures are opened. Our eyes are opened. Our hearts are opened. Come on in, Lord Jesus, and be Savior of my life. Scripture says in Psalm 139, if I say, surely the darkness shall overwhelm me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. If he is Lord of your heart, you have no reason to fear the dark.